For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Are you so focused on what's being said within the church that you're not sure what to say to those outside of it? Don't lose heart. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series in Colossians, Christ Above All, with a look at how to talk to God about outsiders and how to talk to outsiders about God. Listen now as David introduces today's important message, Christian Communication. You know, this kind of goes back to that quaint little saying that says, don't forget to tell God about your troubles, and don't forget to tell your troubles about God, because um, both are important, and this chapter that we're in, this lesson that we're in right now, is about uh, prayer, which is talking to God, and then how we allow God to lead us in our conversation with other people. Very important lesson for all of us right now in the crazy mixed-up world in which we live. Christian Communication. You can get a copy of Turning Points Magazine, which comes in the mail every month with all kinds of great articles and studies and devotions for every day, Monday through Friday, and one for the weekend. Information about what God is doing through the Turning Point Ministry. We want to send it to you, but you have to ask for it. So if you're not getting the magazine right now, be sure and request it when you write or send an email, however you get in touch with us. Just say, please start sending me the magazine, and as soon as we can get you on the list, it'll start coming right away. And I also want to tell you that there's a way that you can download the devotionals from Turning Points Magazine right into your own inbox. And I don't know how to explain that to you, but you can go to our website, and it will tell you how to do it. And you'll be able to start getting these devotional uh, writings every day. It's kind of like I've said before many times in the past, it's like going to the oven in the morning and getting fresh bread for your soul. And I hope you'll take advantage of it. A lot of you guys who travel, you don't want to carry stuff with you. If you've got a phone, you can carry the devotional content with you wherever you go, and it'll be available to you every single day. And, you know, biblical content is what keeps your feet on the hard road and uh, keeps you out of the ditch on either side of the road. You just fill your mind and heart with truth. And we provide that content. We provide that truth. But you have to access it. You have to take advantage of what we're doing and and download it into your own life. I hope you'll do that. Well, um, here we go. This is Christian Communication, Part 1, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. When Karen Muller, filmmaker and author, was in the Peace Corps from 1987 to 1989, she dug wells and built schools in a village in the Philippines. And one night, 17 members of the New People's Army the armed wing of the Communist Party of the Philippines, came to her hut to interrogate her. Earlier that day, villages had warned her that this was going to happen. So she collected two precious commodities, sugar and coffee. And when the NP arrived, she exclaimed, Thank God you're here. I've been waiting all day. Please have some coffee. Leave your guns at the door. Her reaction baffled the leader of this group. 
He took off his gun, sat down for a cup of coffee. She avoided an interrogation or something worse because according to Mueller, you can't interrogate someone you're having coffee with. (laughs) Mueller transformed the situation from intimidation to conversation to communication. She delighted the leader of the group with her unexpected hospitality, changed his heart, his mind, and his intentions. In short, she enchanted him. Enchantment can occur in villages and stores and dealerships, offices, boardroom, and in churches. And it transforms the situation and the relationship, and it converts hostility into civility, and it changes skeptics and cynics into believers. A famous brand evangelist, Guy Kawasaki, says it's close to what the Bible calls evangelism winning people over with the good news of Jesus Christ. For many of us, evangelism is an overwhelming word, but it doesn't have to be. The pattern of the New Testament seems to be this, that someone meets Jesus and experiences reconciliation with God. There's an outpouring of joy, which is often expressed through a meal with Jesus, and it's not usually a small one. If you read the Bible, it's usually a big meal. They go and invite all their friends, and they come together for a big announcement about their new relationship with Jesus. And the joy that comes from knowing Jesus is infectious. The gladness that comes from reconciliation with God has a snowballing effect. Christ's love for us is infectious. Can I get a witness? He loves us. He died for us. He gave us the gift of eternal life. And once we've tasted the joy of that in our lives, Union with God, our creator, we want everybody else to know about it as well. And especially early on, after we become Christians, we don't care about criticism. We carry our Bibles with us. Who cares if we get criticized? Because what Jesus has done for us is so exciting to us, we want him to do that for others. And that's what Paul wanted, too. He had experienced the joy of salvation, and he couldn't stop telling everybody about it. And he wanted to show the world how wonderful how attractive and how captivating Jesus Christ is. That's the reason he wrote the book of Colossians. He wanted to enchant the Colossian believers. He wanted them to be so excited about Jesus, they didn't have any time for all those crazy people who were bothering them. In the first three chapters of his book, Paul has focused his message on believers, on members of the church. But in chapter 4, he takes a few moments at the end of his letter to focus his attention from inside the church to outside. And in verses 2 through 6 of chapter 4, Paul answers this question. What can an ordinary group of Christians do to make sure that outsiders hear about Jesus? How can we enchant them? How can we excite them? How can we make them want to know the Jesus who's been so good to us? In the simplest of terms, the first half of our passage tells us how to talk to God about our unsafe friends. And the second part tells us a little bit how to talk to our unsafe friends about God. So how to pray for outsiders, verses 2 through 4. Listen to these words. Continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul begins by describing how 
We can pray personally for people that we care about. Pray personally for them. Continual earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. That's a really interesting sentence. When Paul tells the Colossians to continue earnestly in prayer, he's not talking about praying with intensity. Have you ever been in a church service where somebody prays and then you discover they have a prayer voice? They talk in a regular voice, but when they pray, they, it goes up a couple of octaves. It's a little bit louder. It's a different voice. It's not them. It's their prayer voice. Now, I'm not criticizing anybody and in their praying, but praying is very personal. So if you talk to your wife and you go into a new voice every time you talk to her, it would be different, wouldn't it? What Paul's talking about here is not more intensity in your prayer, but more intensity in your devotion. In other words, continually and habitually, constantly praying for your friends who don't know Jesus yet. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're your children or your parents or your brothers and sisters. And if you read the New Testament, you'll discover that this devoted prayer is a theme. In fact, when I first started to prepare this message, I think I had eight different scriptures. And I can't quote all of them, so I chose two. Here's what the New Testament is filled with. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then in Luke 18.1, it says men always ought to pray and not lose heart or not get discouraged. Paul wanted the Colossians to pray continually. He also wanted them to pray vigilantly. What does that mean? Well, pray looking around. That doesn't mean you don't close your eyes, but you keep your eyes open to what's going on. First of all, in the life of the person you're praying for. You know, if you have someone who's not a believer, they're living life too, and they're experiencing things like you are, but they're experiencing it without Christ. Keep your eyes on that. Be vigilant to what's happening. It will give you the opportunity to interact with them when the opportunity comes. And it refers to an attitude of being spiritually alert means to notice what's going on around us. We live in a strange and difficult world. Doesn't mean we should close our eyes and retreat, pull the moat up behind us and not care. No, the Bible says we're to keep our eyes open. Figure out what's going on. Figure out how your faith intersects with what's happening in the world. And frankly, men and women, if you don't believe it does, you need a course in how to share your faith in a crazy mixed up world. Let me tell you something that often escapes believers today. The world in which the Bible was written, the time in which it was written, to the people to whom it was written, was way more messed up than our world is. It was way more hostile to the gospel. The Romans ruled. It was a cruel world. It cost something to be a Christian. So when you read the scripture, you think, well, that's not relevant. No, it's way more relevant than you think. It's helping us understand how to live our lives in a world that no longer respects us or even wants anything to do with us. And then Paul instructs the Christians to pray with thanksgiving. Oh, I love that because in the Bible, just about every place you see prayer, you see thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Pray with thanksgiving. If there ever was a group of people that should be filled with thanksgiving, it's us. We have more to be thankful for than any group of people in the whole world because we already know how it ends. We know where we're going. We know our sins are forgiven. We know that even though we have some bumps in the road, we have someone to help us and guide us and stay with us. And we've all had experiences where Christ has been there and helped us and he's our counselor. And, you know, Christ is not just our savior and Lord. He's our friend. He's our guide. He's our counselor. I think Paul was the most thankful person you'll ever read about in the Bible. 
I think, first of all, he was so thankful that he got rescued from a life he had lived before. He had a pretty sad life before Christ came. His whole life was built around persecuting Christians. He put them in jail. We don't know this for sure, but probably had some of them killed. And he got rescued from that one day on the road to Damascus when God intersected his life, and he was so filled with gratitude for his salvation. Do you know if you read the New Testament, one of the interesting things is Paul writes a lot about a lot of things, but he can't write very much before he bursts out into gratitude for the fact that he's a Christian. It's over and over. His testimony is in the scripture, I think, five times. So he's a thankful person, and he models for us that when we pray for others, we should also be thankful for the privilege we have of knowing Jesus Christ and of bearing witness for him to the people we intercede for. So he said, pray personally. And then he says, pray on purpose. And now he talks about these people praying for him. And this is a very interesting passage, especially for people who do what I do. Here's what he said. Meanwhile, verse 3 praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. As the Colossians were praying for their unbelieving friends, Paul asked them, to whom he was writing this letter, people he had never seen, would you all pray for me? And here's what, I, I don't want you to pray for my health. Isn't it interesting? Paul had a lot of health issues. He hardly ever mentioned them. His prayers were never requested for his health, for his well-being, for his success. He prayed for the gospel. He said, pray for me. And here's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray for connections. An open door is the word that he uses. And that's a phrase in the New Testament that could be translated opportunity. An open door is an opportunity. Paul was saying, pray for me that I will have an opportunity to share the gospel. And if you look at the Bible, you will see that little phrase over and over. Once again, there's many passages from which I could choose. But here's a couple of examples. Acts 14, 27. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done for them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. In other words, he'd given the Gentiles an opportunity to believe. It was an opportunity. Or 1 Corinthians 16, 9, a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. 2 Corinthians two twelve says, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened. Now, let's just take for a moment and grasp hold of this. What Paul is praying is this, pray for me that I will have many opportunities to preach the gospel so that I can reach many people. Pray for open doors, and he asks them to do that. You know, here's the one thing, you gotta realize if God opens the door, he means for you to walk through it. (laughs) A lot of people get open doors and they stand, isn't that a nice open door? (laughs) No, it's not for you to admire, it's for you to walk through. I remember one day we were talking about how Turning Point had now found almost all of the Christian television stations that would broadcast our television program, and we sort of said, you know, maybe we ought to quit just preaching to the choir, just finding Christian people who want to hear the gospel, who want to hear the word of God. That's wonderful. I'm glad we do that. But we asked God to open some doors for us so that we could take the gospel to people who would never go to church, who would never hear the word of God, who would never seek out faith. And all of a sudden, we start getting opportunities on the Fox Network, on Newsmax. And lo and behold, one day we found out we could go on the History Channel Monday through Friday in the morning 
And then somebody said, have you ever heard of A&E? Yeah, I don't watch A&E. I knew it was there somewhere. So now we're on A&E. God's opened all these doors for us to take the gospel into the world that doesn't embrace the gospel. And not only are they listening, they're responding, and we're hearing stories like you would not believe of how the gospel is changing lives. Now, those doors were open. I'll tell you what, if it's television, you better swallow hard before you walk through that door because it costs a bunch of money. But God has supplied the resources in a way that's just overwhelming to me. I just give you that little word of testimony as to the open doors that God has given. And not just here in this country. We do these events every year, and we've been in four different cities this fall sharing the ministry of Turning Point. And this year, our technicians put together this incredible video. And this video, I think it's three minutes long, but it tells the story of Turning Point in many of the countries of the world. How God has taken Turning Point into places I will never go. Did you know that I preach in four different languages and they actually hear the words and see them come? Did you know that? I preach in two Indian languages. I preach in Telugu and Hindi. And if you see it, and you watch really closely, you'll know those words don't match the way my mouth is working. (laughs) But it looks like I'm preaching in those languages. It's the most unbelievable thing you've ever seen. I preach in Spanish. I don't know anything but adios. That's all I know in Spanish. (laughs) But I preach the Word of God in Spanish. You know what that is, friends? That's God opening the doors. I could never make that happen. God opens the doors. And I would tell you as a church, we need to continue to pray for open doors for the gospel, that the gospel might go to the places where people need it, and boy, do they need it now more than ever before. He said, pray for the connections, and then he said, pray for clarity. This is another interesting thing. This great apostle, perhaps the greatest Christian who ever walked on this earth, apart from Jesus Christ, of course, He said, pray for me that I will have clarity. He said, pray that I will be able to present the mysteries of the gospel and that I will be able to demystify them. (laughs) He wanted the people to pray not only that he would have opportunity, but he wanted them to pray that when he got the opportunity, he'd be able to clearly present the gospel. He talks about the mystery of Christ. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He said, pray that I will get these opportunities and that when I get them, I will be able to manifest the power of God and preach the gospel so people will understand and believe. Pray for clarity. Pray that I may make it manifest, he says in verse 4. Paul is telling us that we are not responsible for how others respond to the gospel, but we are responsible for the manner in which we communicate the gospel. Pray that we might make it manifest. Make it clear. You know, I've been preaching the gospel for over 50 years, and every time I give the invitation or present the gospel, I always feel like I could do it better. You know how you feel when you know Jesus? You can't imagine anybody not wanting him. And so if they don't want him, it makes you feel like maybe you're not telling the story right. Maybe, could I try this again? You don't understand. If you knew Jesus, what he would do for your life. How can you say it clearer? How can you make it more plain? That ought to be the hope of every one of us who tell others about Jesus Christ. Back in 1949, George Roy and Elizabeth Wood, an American missionary couple, were serving in northwest China and Tibet. They were forced to leave the area. A local leader named Pastor Meng took over the church of 200 people. 
The Woods returned to America, and by 1985, both of them had passed away without ever knowing what happened to the church that they started. In 1988, the Woods' son, George, returned to China and met with Pastor Meng and his wife, who were now in their 80s. For 28 years, the communist government had done their best to extinguish the church. Pastor Meng wasn't allowed to preach, and he spent time in prison. I think for nine years he was in prison. It was illegal to baptize. It was illegal to indoctrinate anyone under 18. When the government finally allowed Pastor Meng to reopen the church in 1983, there were only 30 people left. Assuming that the church was on its last leg, George Wood asked Pastor Meng, how many believers do you have now? Pastor Mung's wife brought them a cardboard roll held together by yarn. The first page was filled with writing, five columns, name, age, gender, address, occupation. There were around 20 names on that page. George Wood continued turning over page after page with the names of the baptized. And finally he asked the Mung's, how many believers do you have? And they said, 1,500 baptized believers. In disbelief, George Wood asked, How did that happen? Pastor Mung smiled as he shared his secret for church growth. It wasn't a technique. It wasn't a program. He simply said, Oh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we pray a lot. That's a pretty good way to reach people for Jesus Christ. Be excited about who he is, and as we learned earlier, pray a lot for the people you're trying to reach. I remember earlier on as a pastor here, we had a little program where we handed out cards to everybody, and there were five lines on the cards, and we said, write down the names of five people that you know, maybe they're in your family or people that you're close to that you know don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Write their names down and start praying for them every day. You may not feel qualified to witness to them. You might want to invite them to church. I mean, that's sort of been lost over the years, but just begin to pray for them. You know, you can't pray for somebody without God sooner or later helping you being the answer to your own prayer. And we did that, and we saw people come to Christ off our list. Not a bad thing to do. It doesn't have to be a church program. You can do it yourself. Begin to pray for the people you know, that you care about, that you love, and some of you, you, it's coming right to the top of your mind right now. You know who these people are. Don't just mourn the fact that they're not Christians. Start praying that they'll become Christians. Pray that God will give you a door of opportunity to speak the gospel to them in a conversational way that won't be offensive necessarily, but will be winsome. By the way, you know, there's a lot of craziness that goes about witnessing. And and if you start to talk about witnessing to others, people just shrivel up and try to get away from you because they're so intimidated by it. Somebody's told them they got to go to a class and learn a method. You know what witnessing is? All it is is telling people what Jesus has done for you. That's all it is. Anybody can do that. Hey, did you know what the Lord did for me? Do you know how he saved me? Anybody can witness. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to be mentored, although those things may be helpful. A witness is somebody who tells another person what Jesus Christ has done for you. Tell them and see what happens. And anybody can do that. And uh, you've probably already done it and not even aware of it. Uh, You are a witness. And you can be a better one, so can I. And during these days when truth is at such um, a desperate place, witnessing the truth about Jesus Christ is a great thing to do. 
for you, for your family, for your church, for your community, and for this country. Hey, friends, this fall we're coming to your area. If you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, we'll be at the PNC Arena on October the 6th. If you live in Orlando, Florida, or the surrounding area, we'll be in the Amway Center October the 13th. In Greenville, South Carolina, on uh, October the 20th, in the Bon Secours Wellness Arena. These first three events are all on a Thursday night. And then there's a Friday event on November the 11th in Buffalo, New York, at the KeyBank Center. These events are all free, and yet tickets are required. So here's what you do. Go to davidjeremiah.org slash tour, and... Um, You'll be able to get all the tickets you need, all the information you need about our event in your community. We do want to invite you to come. It's one of the first times for us to get back together with you after all of these COVID delays and everything else that's been happening. So we're going to celebrate this as a very special night. I hope you'll come. We'll have special guests there that we'll introduce to you a little bit later. But uh, it's time for you to get your tickets. It'll be here before you know it. So we'll finish up our communications message tomorrow. Hope you'll be with us then. I'm David Jeremiah. Thank you so much for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Christ Above All, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Christ Above All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. I have read that in desert regions, young camels were taught to kneel down by speaking a certain word at the same time a heavy burden was placed on their back. Eventually, they learned to kneel down just by hearing the spoken word. That makes me think of what it takes to teach us to pray. 
Sometimes it takes a heavy burden coming into our lives to convince us we should kneel before God in prayer. God's desire, of course, is that we bow before Him not just when we are burdened, but like a child anytime we seek the fellowship of our Heavenly Father. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's purpose in prayer on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.